welcome to the T-Hud Podcast. I am Moby. I'm Marty. And I'm Leland. And today you get the first episode where it might not be a train wreck for the whole time, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, for the whole time. Yeah. For the whole time. Maybe we'll just lose a caboose somewhere. Yeah. If our listener has stuck around this far, we thank you. Oh, well, thank you, he or she. Yes, or it. Or alien Them. is listening to this. Oh, an alien would be cool. ITunes. That would oh, we should send this shit into space. Absolutely. You that's, know, no, no, that's, let's get the elevator ring system from Stargate. Let's have it come down, bring an iPod up to a flying pyramid. <laughs> if an alien race or species hears this, we're doomed. Oh, yeah, that's that's how you get your Earth invaded. This is, uh, this is how we get enslaved. All enslaved. You know what? This is really just marketing by Universal for their Independence Day prequel. So <laughs> it's guys like us that doomed humanity. Those alien locusts are like, we are coming and we are taking them out because of T-Hud. So um, no affiliation with Universal Studios. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but this is going to be the first uh, episode here where we stick to, well, not stick to, but where we discuss our three reoccurring segments. So we're going to do our, for lack of a better term, uh, movie musings, crazy about cardboard, that's our board game segment, and the video game variety show. And uh, sometimes these these aren't exactly going to be all the same length in the podcast, it depends on... Uh, you know, the topic at hand. Sometimes it'll be longer, sometimes it'll be shorter, but uh, hopefully it'll be fun. So, you know, I, I'm excited. <laughs> that's good. You know, but one thing we want to do before we hit these pre planned segments is just throw it out there and uh, discuss what's going on in pop culture, geek culture that has any of us excited or we want to rant about or talk about. So, I'm very excited to go see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I was thinking I can't wait to see it and do a podcast about it. Oh, hell yeah. That'd be um, awesome. I'm really excited for that. I think that uh, I, I just read the book recently. Leland has has, has also read the book. Um, and uh, Moby knows nothing about it. Well, hold on a second here. I have seen the original It. And what I like about this trailer is that I get the sense. I get the sense that they're not going to really hold back. I think... Yeah. I think we're going to see some shit in that movie. Well, the cool part is that uh, I believe this movie is strictly the uh, part where there are kids. Whereas the novel, yes. there's it's split into two parts where there are then adults and return to Derry. Yes, that's right. To combat it. This one seems to be focused purely on that with the adult part coming in the sequel. Which I think is a great idea. That's and very smart. completely separates very it from smart. the original made-for-TV yeah. series. That's interesting, though. It's like almost like... Um, did we talk about last episode that unnecessary stuff? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we mentioned yeah, we that, did. right? That's. I mean, I've depending on, of course, what they do with the first film, but like the adult stuff almost seems unnecessary. To yeah, what, true. what is there that they're going to be able to tell that would be different from the part with the kids? I mean, as your your kid getting ter- terrorized by this thing that can shapeshift, uh, that seems like it's going to be way more impactful than a bunch of adults dealing with it and trying. to Kill it? I, I feel like the adult film would be more psychological. It would be more focused on them suddenly reliving this childhood trauma because they yeah. all forget what happened to them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but it does seem necessary if they're going to go with how it ends with them as children in the novels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I think the, the clown phenomenon, I think it's, you know, a lot of kids, obviously, that uh, get afraid of clowns. And I think by having the story told about kids, 
from the kids' perspectives, that that actually increases more horror because it sets off those psychological triggers that many kids have of being afraid of a clown. If you've got, you know, Chris Pratt, you know, after he does a bunch of bodybuilding about, you know, going to combat the clown, it's a little bit less scary, you know, than, than just <laughs> yeah. being told. I think Star-Lord could take on it, no problem. Feels kind of like Resident Evil 5 where Chris is the size of a house. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we'll get into that. Context-sensitive boulder punching. Oh, boy. That's actually a hint but, of one. Uh, Leland, what do you think about the uh, move to the 80s for the franchise. They've stepped away from the 50s, 60s setting and now yeah. they've modernized it. Do you think that's a good step? Well, I think um, the whole 80s thing is like the trend now, right? True. Like, everything. Like, if you, Moby and you and I were talking about like the music stuff. Like, everything's thrown back to the 80s again now, right? Well, and I, I think Stranger Things oh, specifically yeah. totally. played into where they're going with this yeah. movie. They saw Genius. that 80s kids, Spielberg if, yeah, oh yeah. kind if, of feeling. If that was set in any other time era, like current day, that would not have been as impactful no. as it and was. And they both have Finn Wolfhard in it, which is by far the best name ever. Finn Wolfhard. <laughs> Gosh, what I would do to be named. Well, that's uh, for another episode down the road. But <laughs> so, so stop us before we spend 45 minutes discussing how excited we are for the film. Uh, episode two. Yeah. Strictly Finn Wolfhard for an hour and a half. Uh, that's good. Break it down letter by letter, folks. <laughs> uh, anything in video games have you guys excited this week? I'm looking to the fall. There's one specific day on the fall in the fall. I believe it's October 27th. <laughs> there is so much coming out for pop culture on that day. We, the new Mario game, Assassin's Creed, the uh, Strangers yeah, Thing season, season two. two yeah. Wow! Um, I will not be going to work that day. <laughs> <laughs> I hope my boss never hears this. That's good. Um, yeah, from my point of view with video games, you know, nothing really current. You know, I would say that I'm starting to get more into wargaming on uh, PCs, and I don't mean wargaming the company, though I like them, but uh, complex war games. Um, Hearts of Iron 4 specifically, which just a couple weeks ago came out with a an interesting expansion. Um, basically, you play a bunch of Eastern European countries in World War II, that uh, you can pick your country um, that are sandwiched between Germany and Russia in 1936. And it gives you a lot of choices. Do you maybe ally with Germany? Do you ally with Stalin? Do you try to collect those states like Poland and Yugoslavia and try to make a stand as these non-aligned states with the superpowers? It's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, at 13 bucks. Without a discount uh, for the DLC, just to add a couple minor countries, I'm going to wait for it to go on sale. But but it intrigues me. So, Are you, when do you pay more than four ninety nine for a video game? Like, come on. Well, you know me, Leland. Uh, rarely ever. I gotta. It doesn't so much matter the overall cost. I need a deep discount. I need it to tell oh me that it's fifty percent. It used to be a hundred dollars down from seven hundred dollars. Yeah, and you'll buy it, and then Moby will be on that. Yeah, it flies it, on shit. I'm, I'm part Dutch, so sometimes oh, I can be a little uh, cheap. You know, they'll. That's offensive. If We're going to have to edit. That is happen. offensive. Hey, hey! It doesn't matter if you're part Dutch. I'm just being self-depreciating here. Um, board so, games. Anything hit you this week, uh, Leland? For board not really. Um, Gen Con's coming up pretty quick, which is like one of the largest conventions for 
board games. It would be cool to go to. Where's mm-hmm. that? Um, where is it? I forgot. Somewhere in North America. We've done our research. <laughs> As you can tell, we're very prepared. Um, I don't know. I never fucking been there. <laughs> so okay. We like you to rant, but we want you to rant on something of substance. We'd like you to know that Gen Con is somewhere. I don't yeah. think... <laughs> Shut up, you guys. <laughs> Anybody who knows what Gen Con is knows where it is, except me. Okay, so it's oh, fine. Our know. listener knows where Gen Con yeah, is. Should I constantly be on my phone doing research for you during this? If episode? you want to take that, fine, fine. We can all go back and put in oh, dub over myself. Gen Con is in St. Louis. <laughs> Gen Con's not in St. Louis. We don't want to have a whole episode just on Gen Con. Uh, let's dive into uh, movie musings here, and uh, what we wanted to discuss was Dunkirk. We all saw it. We saw it together a few days ago. Um, in IMAX. In IMAX. Uh, myself, I've seen it twice in the last week. I really enjoyed it. Um, we'll give our, our impressions. First of all, I really liked it. I have very few criticisms of it. I thought it was extremely original in that the battle itself seems to be the protagonist. You're not really connected to any characters. There's no real one character... Um, that the film focuses on. It does focus on land, air, and sea, uh, but, you know, there's not so much uh, a traditional protagonist or even a traditional narrative. Within a few seconds, the bullets start flying and you're in it. And one subtlety that I really liked is how the Germans are not seen as far as infantry until the very end, and they're just in shadow for the most part. All you see is their equipment, and they're even called the enemy in the opening text. And what it does is creates this abstract sort of monster, this almost force of nature that is going after these soldiers. And I like how there's the Stutka attack. Those are those German dive bombers right in the beginning. And uh, they have screamers on them. These screamers are not functional on the airplane except to cause terror. And I was really looking forward to seeing if the if those were done accurately. And they were. Mm. And, I, and I thought it had a, a good impact there. I felt it also was fairly realistic uh, as far as what actually happened there. In particular, I like one line where one of the soldiers says, where's the bloody Air Force? Because that was a common complaint of soldiers on the beach. Now, in history, the Air Force was there. What was happening is the Air Force was actually holding off the Germans further inland where they couldn't be seen. And the soldiers just assumed that since they're being attacked on the beach, that the Air Force was nowhere, wasn't trying to help them. Oh, I see. They were stopping further attacks from happening. Exactly. There, you know, Something that the film touched on a tiny bit or alluded to was that the French were really trying to hold off um, the Germans who had overwhelming force. I mean, they just kicked ass. And to buy the British these precious few days to be offloaded and brought back to Britain. So that's, that's good. I'm trying to think if there's anything really that unrealistic. There is one point. There is one point that's not very realistic. Very few of the small ships of Dunkirk, the little ships, were actually piloted by civilians. As the film shows, the Navy was coming to take them over, 
to requisition them. However, in real life, the Navy did requisition all but a couple of them. So it was fine to focus on that one uh, crew that was going out on their own and that dodged the Navy. That's realistic. However, when you see the little ships rescuing people from the beaches, they're almost all fishermen and civilians. That is not accurate. I suppose that just looks way more heroic. It does. It does. So... uh, Another thing I liked as far as uh, scary realism was the concept of oil, of sailors getting soaked in oil. That was and very cool. That was a very common issue with with the Navy in World War II or in any war where, you know, World War One as well, where you had oil-fired ships um, because any spark could just set the ocean on fire. So I thought that was quite good. Um, that's really what I felt there. The, the only thing I would would say is that one of the greatest benefits of the film, which is that the battle becomes the protagonist, unfortunately that means that you don't have a character that you can really identify with. When characters get knocked off, you don't really feel that sad. Marty? I couldn't tell you a single character's name. No. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, there um, was uh, Bodie McBoat Captain. <laughs> there was the... Uh, Fighter, giant fighter pilot, Tom Hardy, <laughs> who is still Bane, apparently. Yeah, I like to, uh, oh, we didn't throw up a spoiler warning before we started talking about this, but I think that's, you know, spoilers. Anything it's we talk about, totally you spoilers. can Google history. So. Oh, I'm sorry, no. Um, what I like to call those uh, airplanes, the Hardy Boys. That's how I call those three. <laughs> They're the Hardy Boys, led by Tom Hardy, um, who, you know, didn't die. He didn't. Uh, Marty, would you like to continue? <laughs> Did you just trail off into a shell shock there? I was, um, I think he started to. You know what? You know what really happened was I was getting in the mindset of me watching that movie, and I was just as bored there for two seconds as I was watching that movie. Hmm. Now, were you, you, were you bored watching the movie? I was bored watching the movie, yes. Um, I, 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 I mean, it wasn't bad. I, I didn't really enjoy it all that much. I didn't, like you said, I don't connect with any of the characters. I didn't, didn't particularly feel like any 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 heroics were going on, which I guess they tried to allude to, like by replacing all the cat the captains on the the pleasure cruise boats, right? I, I don't know. I just I kind of like that realistic tone, though. Was it not everyone's a hero? A lot of these people just wanted to go home. Yeah, but I don't. Okay, I agree. I agree. And I, I think the 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 film. Uh, Nolan did what he wanted to do with it, I think, right? And I think he did it successfully, but I just, it wasn't my, it's not it wasn't my bag. I, I didn't, I certainly would not watch it again. Hmm. I don't see myself watching it outside of theaters. It was definitely a theater movie. I liked it in IMAX. The IMAX camera is beautiful, but it's also a bit distracting. It's unnecessary, though. It's the same. I don't understand it. I don't get what the great thing about it is. That's the film for it, though. The film where you have the big wide shots at the beach. But what? Okay, but every okay, I don't. Every shot that they used it for, you okay? Great, you get a wide, cool pan of fucking sand and flotsam <laughs> and jetsam, whatever. Which one of those comes from the ocean? You know, that's all. It, that's all it was. It was water and sand, and then some boats. Sometimes, you know, what? it wasn't scenery. It was nothing to depict using this a crazy expensive camera. I don't. I don't. No, it actually is scenery. You just define scenery. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> there was okay. There was bland scenery. There's nothing of interest or import to depict 
other than the characters of this film. That's what the film is about. It's about these people that, yes, they want to go home. They're not particularly heroic. They've been conscripted or they've signed up to do their job, fight for their country. Uh, I don't know. This. So you, you think it doesn't make for a better film? Basically. No, it, I don't, it didn't do anything for me. It, like we were discussing, we were discussing when we came right out of it that it, switching from the IMAX to the regular camera was just jarring. It, again, it was something else to take me out of the experience. You know, unfortunately, IMAX has become, from a marketing perspective, something that the studios want to push. Frankly, a butt in the seat is worth more if it's paying for an IMAX ticket. Oh, yeah. Totally. I, I mean, that's that's just being quite honest. That's why they're building more and more adult-only VIP theaters oh, is yeah. for the same thing. And I wasn't – I didn't find the IMAX as distracting or offensive as you did. Well, okay. When you're watching it, it's very subtle. The switch is subtle, but it's registrable. So, again, yeah. it, like it's not like, you know, you're not like whipping the camera – 180 degrees and a flick of like a snap of the finger. It's just, it wasn't like aggressive, but you notice it. It was noticeable. Part of it is the film itself. The film does jump around timeline to timeline quite often. The skyline's black and then it's gray and then it's light gray. It's, it makes sense in the context of the film, but with that mixed with the IMAX and the ratio change, I did notice it. That did take me out of the film at times because I was really drawn into the movie, even though I couldn't tell you anybody's name. I did root <laughs> for them. It, it did have an emotion to it that it was strong, uh, but that was jarring for me for sure. The one question I have in that movie, which one was Harry Styles? I actually don't know. I'm not a teenager. I don't know which one was Harry Styles. I think Harry Styles was the one that the third one they found. The one who they pulled off the uh, ship, like the first ship that went that sunk down. They pulled him out. He was like about to get crushed, and they helped him. Oh, oh the, okay. the kid with the lawn. The, the third guy, the one that was uh, one of the main guys. The one point, no, the one the one pointing the gun. The one pointing the gun at the French. He was accusing the French guy. Yeah. Okay. It was him. Oh, okay, okay. he was the best looking of those three. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I I honestly wouldn't know. Um, well, in- I, really, again, okay, like I know we, I bitched and moaned about like Matt Smith in Genesis last episode, but. Again, any of these actors could have been any actor because there was so little dialogue in the okay. film. But in Harry Styles' defense, whoever he was, <laughs> I didn't find that as far as physical acting, which is pretty much all what the actors were doing, with yeah. the exception of Kenneth Branagh and uh, I think it was Ray Fiennes who play uh, British officers, everyone else was mostly silent. So a lot of their acting has to be in reactions and facial expressions and whatnot. I didn't find anyone that was out of place. No, okay. I yes, mean, I, I think we're right, by the way. I okay, good. That, that is the correct character. I agree with you on that point. But, uh, again, all these guys just want to go home. They're on the verge of death. They're all emoting the exact same way. So what kind of feedback are they... They're all in the same situation. Whether or not you're, that situation is you're on a beach waiting for the boat to come so you can go home, or you're in a boat that's filling full of water and getting shot at. You're still just about to die. You're still fighting for your life, and you're still scared out of your wits. So there are, you're still showing the same emotions. There's the same, same facial expressions. Maybe to the nth degree when you're in, you're almost drowning to death as opposed to sitting on a beach with no food. Okay, fair enough. Point but, So, okay, so then you couple the no dialogue, you couple with the same expression throughout the entire movie, and you cu- and then you put it on top of the bland setting. What what do you have in this movie? 
I, think, I don't I understand. Think you're kind of shooting a bit low for them. Like I, I'm thinking about the film. I'm thinking that the scene where um, they're on this boat, they're waiting for it to take off. They're getting shot at. Yeah, half of them are ready to kill. To, to save their well, lives. Well, all but one was ready to kill, throw the guy overboard, yeah. One just wants to live. The French uh, soldier yeah. just wants to live. He looks terrified. But the rest are murderous. They're fighting for yeah. their lives. The okay, okay. Wants to sure. Help. Um, Again, that's okay. I, I think there Any was... Any other moments? There was strong acting in that. Yeah, okay, great. Any time, other moments? Yeah, the rest of the time, they're dead. They're, they feel like they're dead soldiers. Okay, so then that and means, that means they are either in the hold of a ship as it's filling with water, or they are underwater, covered in oil, they're doing the same okay. thing. Okay, I brought it's up the those... same fucking Hold thing. On that a was second. that was one point. Hold I I completely on hold on. Let me finish my point here. Okay, I completely agree with you, Mark. That yeah, that was a that was a great scene. That was an intense scene. That was the most emotionful. Emo, f- most the scene was filled with the most emotion in that entire fucking movie, and it was like it was less than fifteen minutes. So for fifteen minutes, I was engaged. Awesome. How long was that movie? Uh, Hour and 47. Long. Yes. long, long uh, it was a long movie. Okay. I will so for position, an hour and a half, I'm not engaged. I will position that the two British officers who I mentioned earlier, they have fairly major speaking roles as far as the film goes. Yeah. I thought they did a good job. Particularly the older Admiral, played yeah. by Kenneth Branagh. You know, he can't cry because he's this military man. He can't really show fear, but he does in just the little conversations that he has. And certainly that colonel who came in and has to walk up and down the beach. I think he does a good job seeing, oh, shit, you know, the British are hoping we take 30,000 home, but there's 400,000 on this beach. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I, I thought he did a good job portraying that, those two characters. When I think about this film, I think one of the big differences is the way it portrays violence and the way they've casted very young actors to play these soldiers. And I think that's... Mm. Part of the reason why they cast Harry Styles, he isn't a well-known actor, even though he's known in other things for whatever he's done. <laughs> sent, sent girls through puberty. He has sent mean. girls through oh, puberty. That's disgusting. Awful. Oh, jeez. Um, good for him. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good for him. <laughs> yeah, so... In that aspect, I really liked the film. I liked that they they tried to stick to some more of a realistic casting for soldiers. Yeah, especially for that time, right? For that yeah. time, yeah. And the violence as well. It doesn't focus on this hyper-sensationalized version of people blowing yeah. up and gore and guts. It's scary, and you feel like you, you see death, you see violence, you see bodies, but you don't just see gore for the sake of gore. The horror is in the setting and not the blood and guts. Yeah. Well, it, that was one impactful part of the movie is the threat of death in the majority of the scenes is drowning. That yeah. is terrible. That is terrible. I have the biggest phobia of drowning or suffocating. That was what hit me. That was the thing that hit me in this movie. That's I something I never ter- thought about. That stuff's so with, it's yeah, very scary. Yeah, very yeah. scary. With, yes. with film. Well, like I, I did feel the threat of that. I, yeah. I, yeah they, I think they portrayed that well. One thing I, I thought they portrayed realistically as well, you know, as a kid, I was very much into airplanes and warplanes. That is probably the most realistic air combat I've yeah. seen on screen. I mean, so many times... It's uh, very important because it was boring. Well, yeah, but you know what? That That's realistic. Okay, I think that's, lo- that's fine, oh. but 
I don't... Okay, then I don't want that Leland. level of realism in my movies. Leland, that's fair enough. I want to be, most I want to be movies, fucking entertained. But so many more movies, you know, it's basically Star Fox with propellers. You've got, <laughs> yeah. you've got airplanes yeah. doing barrel rolls and figure eights that in real life, in 1941, your wings get sheared off or you pass out because of G-forces doing yeah. that. Or your engine cuts out. The only point I cared about Tom Hardy's character was at the end, when he's getting out of his cockpit, he's letting the fresh air blow on his face and he's just kind of letting it sink in that he is defeated. He's fucked. He's screwed. He he's drop. landing in enemy territory, but he saved lives. Yeah. Other than that, and that was probably the least realistic part. Absolutely. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. fucking But other He glides for half an hour, turns around, glides back for half an hour. Somehow executes a plan. And he's <laughs> barely being able to hit where shit when he can fly properly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then he somehow lands at what Hollywood calls the golden hour, also known as about uh, yes. 15 minutes before sunset yeah. when the lighting is perfect. He knows exactly how to blow his plane up with one shot. He gets out <laughs> and he just says, bring it. Yeah. He, he did kind of look bean like there. He looked like he was ready to, to throw a whole platoon around, but yeah. then he just gets hit. If there's a right. sequel, that's the sequel. And and Leland would be much more interested in seeing that scene. We're, Probably. we're done with you. Now. But you know, I think I uh, am just not much of a fan of war movies. I think I think that's what yeah, it boils down to. Fair downs for me. Fair enough. Any um, other final thoughts? Well, I think uh, they must have expanded that <laughs> cockpit by like a foot on either side to fit Tom Hardy in it because Jesus, a man is a monster. Yeah, yeah. Realistically, pilots were a lot smaller. Yeah, right. I'm already petitioning him to be our first guest down the road. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll have a book. We've got on. the invite sent. I am interested to hear about some of his cycles. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, you dangle him some human growth hormone. We might get him to come. I believe that's actually considered libel. I believe, yeah, I was going to say. Tom, we love you. This is all we're, in the. We're joking. Yeah, we're. It's you're, all humor. You've done a lot of push-ups. T40 <laughs> and, and your head is still the same size as it was in Star Trek Nemesis no matter <laughs> oh what my anybody says oh wow I gotta go back and watch that again you do I big. watched it a year well, ago he's, he's supposed to be a clone of Jean-Luc Picard he's, he's slight slim yeah. and he has a different skull wow. they say they're gonna do the first human head transplant I swear it's already happened and it happened to Tom Hardy <laughs> he had the money to afford it he got himself a bigger meathead I, I really think this he he might be like the definitive actor when it comes to gaining weight and losing weight for role and to that extent like well I mean Christian Bale too yeah yeah but just I've never seen a guy get so big and then get so slight and suddenly be that big again it's I don't know. It cannot be healthy for him. If he does a role where he gains a ton of body fat, he's going to get Oh, sick. he's bad. He's got, that's, that's type 2 right there. They get, you know, type 2 diabetes amongst actors is a big thing and a lot, not a lot of people know about, but it's, it's a major hazard. Is it, um, who is it that Tom, Hanks. Tom Hanks is yeah. one of the highest profile guys that got it. He got it from, I believe it was Castaway. I think you remember Yeah, Castaway. That. Wilson gave it to him. Wilson! <laughs> Wilson! The, that volleyball did have more personality than any soldier in Dunkirk. So I think that's, <laughs> Thank you. I think that's a Thank nail in that. the coffin. That's validation. Even though I like the film, I think that's a nail in a coffin. And uh, we'll go straight from blood, bloody volleyball balls, <laughs> volleyball balls, to our crazy about cardboard section. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, great. Really, realistically, no good segues, so just take it away. No, no, that's cool, that's cool. Okay, so for crazy about cardboard, um, I just kind of wanted um, a general, uh, your, your guys' general thoughts of the hobby overall, or at least what uh, you've been exposed to, of, I mean, of course, exposed to by me. I just kind of um, wanted to get your impressions of it. And I don't know, like, like talk about like the social aspects and like if you guys enjoy that, if if that's what you kind of come for or go for, or if you do enjoy the games and can like and like appreciate some of the mechanics of some of the games. How about Mark? What, what do you think? Yeah, I think at first I was a little bit um, taken back by how much there is to this culture. I didn't realize. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a little more knowledgeable about video games and comics and that sort of thing. So being new to it and seeing just how much there is out there and how much is coming, it seems to be growing. Um, that's the vibe I've gotten from it. I've talked to a lot of people now. I realize there's a lot of people who do this, who they get together with friends and they play more than Monopoly. And I think uh, I think that's great. I really enjoy some of these games. Um, some of them, I think my attention span wanes on the longer ones. But when it comes to a, a game that is, you know, anywhere between 15 minutes to maybe two hours, some of them have been fantastic. They've been really fun. We've had some of our best nights just playing games until two in the morning. Um, some of the social games, uh, Resistance stands out. Yeah, for sure. And anything like that. Social deduction games are very fun. I'm terrible at them, <laughs> and, but they're hilarious. And I cannot lie to save my life. Um, eventually, people just assume I'm lying and I win somehow. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, yeah, I've had a lot of fun. And I think um, one of the highlights for me is definitely uh, the social deduction games. Um and one of my re- most recent favorites we played was Shogun. Yeah, my my experience, you know, I remember, I have this uh, distinct memory. I was 12 or 13. I was at uh, Fort Stevens, which is a historical fort uh, in Oregon in the U.S. And under this plexiglass in a historical building on that fort, they had Axis and Allies from 1984 all the ships of all the countries and the men arranged in this kind of fan and tanks and anti-aircraft. And that was kind of the first game that blew my mind that, wow, board games could be this. And that was actually the first board game I ever, I believe I asked for for my birthday or Christmas. It was the first board game I went after. You know, previously, like Marty said, you know, was Monopoly. That was about as complex and big as a board game got. And other than that, you're talking like, payday or or even risk as a war game risk is remarkably simple the mechanics what i like about nowadays is that first of all that original access and allies that's that's peanuts compared to what we've got out there but there's there's a maturity with board games they don't try to dumb it down for you for the most part there are complex mechanics what was that uh Kazmet, the the Egyptian Kemet. Kemet. I always get the name wrong yes, on that do. one. But it has such an advanced uh, tech tree where you can research uh, certain spells that help you. Yeah, the the power tiles. It, the power tiles, and it's amazing just how many levels there are power tiles and how you get them and what they do. It's almost as if the line of complexity between video games and board games is becoming closer. Hmm. You know that that's my perspective. Um, Unfortunately, that's really hit and miss. As you know, Scythe, which is a fairly big name game. Out yeah, there. it is. I'm not a huge fan of Scythe. I got to be yeah. honest. No, no. And you know what? Uh, I hate to admit that the more I think about it, the less I enjoy it as well. Right. 
Uh, especially after playing Shogun. And like I had I've had Shogun for a long it's been sitting on my shelf unplayed for a long time. <laughs> and there are there's about a dozen or so games that fall into that category, which is uh, a shame. But man, Shogun is amazing. I love Shogun. Yeah. And it's 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 like from two thousand six. It's like more I than agree. ten years old. And it's 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 so fun. It's so cool. There's so many interesting decisions in it. Yeah. I guess the point I was getting at there is that mechanics make or break the games these yeah. days. And, you know, it's it's a natural function of having a more complex game. They're more expensive to procure. But I guess when you miss with a board game, it's a bigger swing and a miss these days is what I'm saying. That's just my feeling. Hmm. It's definitely an investment. I mean, I imagine Scythe's a pretty costly game with those uh, pieces and parts. It's yeah, it beautiful. Expensive. I love the uh, style to it. Sure. And the universe it seems to be set in. It's really cool. But I felt the same way. I, when Scythe was done, I didn't sit back and think, I can't wait to play Scythe again. And I didn't think of strategies. But with Shogun, I went home and I thought I would do this different. I would do that different. And I felt kind of mad because I didn't do it. But it was also fun the entire time. And we played for like five hours, too. Well, I mean, we played a five-player game. and With new people. With Yeah, with you you and your wife were both new to it. Um, max player count, that game gets chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely draws out the play time. Which, I mean, I'm, I could sit down for a game. I could sit down for ten hours and play games. I'd be fine. But, yeah, for... Um, yeah, with five players, it gets chaotic. I mean, it was... 100%. There's no breathing room on that board, so... Okay, um, well, that's interesting. Uh, so, do you guys then have any interest in, like, getting further into the hobby? Like, maybe not so much as collecting, since, you know, you know, we have a pretty large collection within our many play groups to draw from it, as it is, but maybe, like, getting into uh, some some media, some board game media. Like, there's tons, I mean, there's a million podcasts that I listen to, like, my fucking iPod is full of them, I can't even keep up, and I listen to podcasts, like, 10 hours a day on a weekday, like, all through work and all through my commute, it's just like, I can barely keep up with them, but you guys have any interest in, like, delving into that kind of stuff? I, you know, I guess I would say if this was Tabula Rosa, you know, clean, clean slate in my life, sure, maybe, you know, I'd look up more YouTube videos and whatnot on it, or podcast. I mean, the issue is we're all working full-time here. None of us, surprisingly, are on welfare. Um, <laughs> I, I'm making a joke about us, you know, recording all these podcasts and having nothing better to do. Apparently that oh. joke sailed right over everybody's Whoa, okay. head. Yeah, Hopefully sorry. the listener yeah, that, that did, uh, you did get yeah, it. Yeah, I doubt it. Our but, listener is smart? That was a dumb joke. <laughs> uh, listener, I, I do It also offends any of our listener who... <laughs> Listener, I don't, I don't know what our this is not sentence. feet. This is not feet, Marty. Who may be this on? What if our listeners on welfare? You know what? In that case, we feel bad for you, and we wish you the best, and God bless us, everyone. <laughs> no, but where I was going with this, okay, was that you know, as much as you know, we're guys in our late twenties and early thirties, we have limited time. I mean, we do have lives. We have friends. We have family commitments. We have work commitments. And there's only so much time I can spend, you know, looking into a new form of media. Now, I often look to movie reviews or, uh, you know, YouTube uh, write-ups and, and, and uh, presentations on different movies. But for me to introduce any sort of significant amount of time into board game media, honestly, it's probably not realistic. 
for me personally. Yeah, uh, it comes down to time, I guess. Um, I probably will spend a bit more time looking into it now that we're delving into these topics with uh, Crazy About Cardboard every week or second week or however often this ends up happening. Um, I, I you know I want to know more about it, a little bit more about the companies and what they've done. It'd be kind of interesting to see who's made what. I enjoy in that aspect, but when it comes to the media and other podcasts about uh, board gaming, gaming culture, I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, that's kind of what that's that's what I was figuring uh, would be your guys' response. Which I mean is perfectly fine. I mean, per- I don't give a shit as long as you play games with me, whatever. <laughs> But I mean, we don't have to like it. <laughs> no, you don't have to like it, but you got to show up. And um, I mean, but like those that reasoning, there's this time thing is like something that everybody struggles with, like in every aspect of life, right? You, there's never enough time to do everything you want to do. This is a very special podcast, and that's why, <laughs> and that's why I have to have like five different play groups so I can always like fall back, and they and they they come and they go. I mean, I recently lost. Want my core play group? Um, yeah, I don't know. This is, uh, but what I like about having those play groups is that I pretty much run the show in all of them, <laughs> and not to like I and I and I like that. I like bringing new stuff to you guys. I like showing you things that I am passionate about, obviously. And whether you like it or not, um, I I I enjoy doing it. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy it gives you learning good feedback rules. as well. Going. You know, down the road, I find when we play new games now, like you're. Oh, I I can pretty well gauge what you guys are going to enjoy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for I mean, sure. when you bring games, we almost always enjoy them. Yeah, I mean, at least to some extent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's and that's and that's a big part of this hobby too. Is a big part of the, inter- the introduction of this hobby is catering, trying to cater best to new mm-hmm. new players. And um, yeah, I think if you can do that well, you're you're always going to find a play group like that. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, okay, so I just to wrap up then, I wanted to just shout out to a few um, of my favorite podcasts I'm listening to right now. Um, Brawling Brothers, uh, Boards Alive. Both of them have been running for, I think, at least since 2015. And I'm like slowly catching up on both both backlog. Because I'm, I'm not going li- to, I'm not going to jump right to the beginning. I'm the type of guy, I got to go all the way back to the beginning. I'm going to, I'm going to put the time in. I'm going to get the whole history. But they're, they're great. Um, Flying Brothers, I just love the the animosity that the two hosts have. Like it's just like the the back and forth. Like I I don't know. I just really enjoy it. Kind of like um, the animosity you have between yourself and everyone else. Yeah, basically. I like especially I, it hits in it hits in in the in the feels. Um, so they're great. You can uh, follow them and look them up. Uh, they're on Twitter at Brawling Bros. Uh, and then Boards Alive, they're like fellow Canadians. Actually, they're just based in Kelowna. Um, they're, they're great. They're, um, they're very, they're very friendly as, you know, the stereotypical Canadian is, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to break that stereotype <laughs> over this. I think, sorry. I think I was broken in episode zero about 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no. So you can follow them at Boards Alive on Twitter. Uh, and two more here. Uh, Heavy Cardboard. Um, so now these, the type of games that these, uh, that they cover probably would not appeal to you, Martin. Again, they're, they're often lengthy games. And they're 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 you know they're on the heavy side, meaning they're they're very complex. There's to to dial into the strategies takes a lot of thinking, and it's like brain burning. Um, I don't know, but I, I I like that stuff. And they they have a great podcast, um, and they do tons of live playthroughs on YouTube, which I love watching. It's awesome. 
if you catch them live, you can hop in the chat and talk to them while they're playing. It's it's great. I, I imagine it's a great way to learn. Yes, that that's the thing. They're great. Uh, Edward he he does he usually does his the teaches. He's always great, very concise um, for these complex games too. I mean, some of the teaches take upwards of thirty minutes, and he always brings it right through. It's it's awesome. Um, I like I I uh, donate to them on their Patreon. Actually, I think Edward is now doing. He gets to do what he loves full time now from the from the generate, which is awesome. So super cool. But you can follow them uh, at Heavy Cardboard. And the final one I wanted to bring up was Across the Board. They're relatively new. I think they actually just released their 13th episode. Um, and these guys are great. Just starting out. Go follow them, too. You can follow them at ATB Podcast. Uh, and, yeah, I just wanted to... Those are the four main ones that I'm listening to right now. So why don't we transition over to uh, a segment you have, guys have not heard yet. da 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 uh, what were we calling this? Video Game Variety Show. That was currently the working title. Uh, the, the title. That's the title. Uh, again, alliterative. I've had six days to think about this. Who do you think so brought I'm, that I'm up? not quite there yet. <laughs> um, it might stick. You seem to win. <laughs> uh, with the Video Game Variety Show, we're going to tackle a whole bunch of different topics. Um, one thing I want to return to and make it a reoccurring thing, and it's going to be today's segment, is Best Games of a Generation. Uh, I think that's huge, thinking about... Um, it's huge. It's huge. Uh, any generation of gaming, whether it was the uh, Super Nintendo, Sega, or the uh, PS4, Xbox One, you can think of so many things that... Well, Xbox. Oh, sorry, PS4. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I... <laughs> So, okay, thanks, well, thanks, I'll, thanks, I'll, thanks. I'll, I'll cut that Leland out. Steel, everybody. Leland Steel, everybody. Sorry. Yeah, no, good, good job. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he threw me right off. Um, I'm going to scan the segment now. Ah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Let's wrap it, let's, right. let's wrap it up. Uh, this has been Video Game Variety Show. Uh, we're uh, the T-Head podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you just got a suit again. Oh, hey, that's if fine. it's under five seconds. No, that's a fallacy. They, oh. can, they can sue us for... All of our zero money is fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, listener, you're safe. We will still. Don't worry, listener. We will protect radio. you. If we got to pirate radio this stuff to get to you, listener. We will do it. We've got a rowboat. We got, we got a boat. We can get on a boat. Yeah. They did it in Dunkirk. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> We've commandeered the ship. And we will not use IMAX cameras and we will not charge you $19.99 for a ticket. And Harry Styles will not be involved. Tom Hardy <laughs> might be. Uh, yes. Well, if you're willing to pay nineteen ninety nine, oh yeah, you're okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry, the marketing, the business. We'll be charging you more than nineteen ninety nine. Best games of a generation. Uh, we're going to tackle a whole bunch of different generations. Obviously, the one that I really want to tackle today it's the uh, sixth generation of gaming, or so it's called. Yeah, that's crazy. Sixth generation of consoles. Yeah, that's and still crazy for me. The sixth generation. I was like, when I saw that, I was like, what? How? Yeah, it's not quite the sixth generation of gaming, but consoles. Yeah, yeah, but still. I know. What about you think back, right? I mean, that... Well, I don't want to try to count them. Let's not do that. <laughs> okay, let's start with the Atari. Okay, okay. So is that one? I, don't, then... I don't know if that's when it started, though. I, I mean, it must have. That okay. was the first... Well, like, like, right? That was the... Let's just go back from the sixth. So if the sixth was uh, okay. PS2, fifth yeah. was PS1, yeah. and uh, N64. Keep, uh, N64. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, SNES was yeah. the fourth one, and Sega. Yeah, that, Sega and then yeah. NES was the third one. Okay. So before that is that Atari, 
And then what's that? Well, how could there? I think it's... I don't but know. then Coleco? Is that... What the hell is that? I don't know. When did like that come out? Pong? 1932? <laughs> there was actually like a 60 I think it was gap. like... Yeah, I think... I th- wasn't that what World War Two was over? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rights for Pong. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, you know what? Dunkirk is making a lot boys, more sense right boys, now. Boys, <laughs> when this is done, uh, Moby's going to give you a history lesson. It sounds like we need this. <laughs> oh, great. You guys, listener, you're lucky we're going to turn the mics off for that. took away from Dunkirk? (laughs) (laughs) Either way, the sixth generation, apparently, of uh, console gaming is uh, the PS2, GameCube era, the uh, original Xbox, and also the Dreamcast. It's from 2000, uh, or sorry, 1998 to 2005. Uh, It's a long generation. That includes Dreamcast. It does. Dreamcast is considered the pioneer or the original of that generation. Interesting. what I kind of wanted to go into is, you know, we're talking about best games of a generation. What kind of qualities are going to be making these games worthwhile? We're gonna, we're each going to bring up a game. We're going to talk about a whole bunch, but we're each going to bring up one that stands out for us. That's our favorite. And also, we don't know who what each other's picked either. So. We haven't done that yet either. You there know. might be some overlap. I think so. I imagine you and I, Mark, will have lots of overlap. I have a feeling, but yeah. uh, it's, it's picking one's tough. It's a big generation. It's yeah, se- seven years. Um, what what makes a game worthy of that praise? What's the best game? Yeah, I don't know. That's um, to me. I when I think of the best game, if it if it's, if a portion of the game Im- imprints on me, if it influences. Like maybe my like my thinking, you know, not fucking mind control, you idiot listener. Come on, but it influences my thinking. You said our listener was smart. Would you kindly pass me that drink? Ah, <laughs> uh, here! Oh my god, here you go. But <laughs> uh, but no, it, like when I think back to playing that game, I can crystal clear pick out a segment of the game and playing it. Something that made me go what. Like you know that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so I guess it boils down to nostalgia. I don't know. You get nostalgic feelings from some of these games, but it's more than nostalgia. It's it, it it's like you're saying it's an imprint. It's like a strong sort of like feeling. It's almost like a memory that is so imprinted. It's just part of you. It's, yeah. it's left. Yeah. It's left an imprint that you'll never you're never gonna forget. No matter any even if you don't play that game again. You're always going to think about it when you think about that generation or those types of games. And, you know, um, I think that back to the imprinting thing, like that is uh, especially influential when you're growing up. Like 100%. Like like, absolutely. Playing these these types of games as as like a teenager, um, man, they they shaped me. I know that. They shaped my, well, they shaped my views of violence. They've shaped, I don't know, my views of of relationships. I don't know. Like... Yeah, like I, if I think back and I think to being in the mindset now and playing some of these games on my list, I, I don't know if they would be as impactful or lasting for me now. I'm going to go ahead and throw up a spoiler warning for this whole segment because at some point we're probably going to talk about games and some endings and some feelings that can't. Yeah, but Jesus. But the whole thing is spoilers. I get you saying. Yeah. We'll I'm just d- put a spoiler warning up at the beginning of every episode. We, yeah. we really need to. And really, we're only spoiling it for one listener. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's your fault, listener. Yeah, these games play are, these, these games, games are like ten to fifteen doing? years old. Yeah, play listen, them. if you haven't played this, you know, just press pause when you hear the names. Go and play if them, you're come back in two years, if you're under nineteen and listening to this podcast, clearly we're explicit. You should not be listening to this podcast unless go you have signed parental permission. Oh, is that how it works? I think a so. company. If you're listening to this with your mom or your your guardian or your dad or whatever, your aunt, your uncle, I don't know, just. 
Don't listen. To that. We're, we're obnoxious. We have a podcast. We should email. You, send your your written consent to the podcast email. Yeah. Attention Leland or Marty or Moby. An email that we have not been promoting promoting at all because it doesn't quite exist yet, but it's going to get there. And you're going to add it in at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so video games. <laughs> so yeah, Moby, what what do you think makes a game worthy of this phrase? You know, I, I actually agree with you guys, so I hate to what? not... What? I, I know, I know you do. This is dumb. Maybe we can fight about the games themselves. Oh, but yeah, we will. I think what we've been <laughs> talking about are, you know, what is a defining game for yeah, us? And I thought that's where we were going with this for the most part. And, I mean, you know... But you saw wrong. I, I certainly... I am a Nintendo fanboy, okay? And the GameCube, it was very close at heart for me, so I have a lot of opinions on that. Um, so I don't know if we want to dive in on that yet, but I mean, I agree with you on what, you know, that it's a game that's impactful to you. That is that you think about decades or several years at the very least after you play it as, as defining, um, you know, there's also defining from a marketing perspective, you know, I've never owned an Xbox of any kind, but I have a lot of thoughts. Well, one major thought about Xbox, which is when that thing got introduced, Unlike, you know, Sega with Sonic the Hedgehog, unlike Nintendo with Mario, they had no tentpole. They had no mascot. They just had a bunch of third-party games. Now, they, I'm going to stop you now. They introduced it with Halo. Did Their see, mascot is Master no, Chief. No, 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 no. That is their tentpole I, I game. Was, I was going in that direction, but I did not think that Halo was a launch title. I'm if it was, then sure I... sure it was a okay. launch title. I bet it was. Okay, well, I was going to go with Halo. They're not Nintendo. They don't just throw a console there with no support. But, okay, no. I, I didn't mean that they didn't have decent games when they <laughs> okay. started, but they didn't well, have their mascot. I thought that okay. Master Chief well, grew into that. That okay. came organically. Then... Who is Sony's mascot? Who was Sony's mascot at that time? Then they didn't have a, don't have a mascot. There are no, a few iconic figures. Well, okay, you can think okay. Of. Well, the PS One it was Crash Bandicoot. They certainly oh, promoted okay. Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, they did. Yeah, but you're, you're right. correct. They stepped away from that concept. They they yeah. tried to differentiate themselves from the mascot idea. Yeah. Um, obviously, in the, in the sixth generation, yeah. So generation we're talking about, yeah. Matt. The current generation. Can we stick okay, the fair enough. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But, but I mean, I was going after Xbox and saying that they had to organically get Halo. As soon as they got it, yeah. they jumped all over that. By the way, it's a launch title. It was okay. Yeah. I I stand corrected. So good from Microsoft. Yeah, no way. It's mood, I admit that. Well, mood, actually, you I, have you're, I have your mic on mute, so everything you've been saying, we haven't been talking oh, about. So if we're right. using the same mic. Oh, shit. That's <laughs> going to be a fairly... Well, welcome to the Leland Hour. <laughs> I knew it. Um, <laughs> Three segments about... <laughs> okay, <laughs> just so we can knock off the red-haired stepchild here, did any of you guys own a Dreamcast or play? No, no. Okay, no, I, I wanted one because... It was uh, in the. I wanted everything, you know, and it was the cool. And it had, a, it had a disc drive, and I, I think I don't think I had a PS One at the time yet. Um, it looked really cool, but um, yeah, I wanted one obviously, but I didn't get. It. So I, I'm assuming none of us picked Dreamcast games. No. Well, the only one I thought because I, I still see playthroughs come up for it that are done nowadays is Shenmue. Um, apparently, that was pretty big and epic. But hmm. that's just from a little preliminary research. I've never played it, so maybe we should let Sleeping Dogs lie. I'm interested. I only got into PS2 a few years ago. It actually started with Leland at one of my birthdays. Leland was kind of getting out of the PS2 
thing and he had collected like a wall of games. He gave me a plastic bag to go to town, fill it. It's like a shopping spree. And uh, he matched it up with an incredibly poor working PS2. But it was very heartfelt hey, gift. Big Boy... He he played a lot of games, big boy. I bought one, bought one after. But these guys grew up with PS2. I'm interested in where. What is your defining game for PS2? So yeah, this console generation is the one we grew up with. I mean, I'd say it's the, the one where we went to our teenagers with. Um, I grew up with the generation before that and the sixth generation. This was the big one for us, though. Uh, the one where we could buy our own games and yeah, waste yeah. all our money and that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, we definitely did. Uh, and time. And we played a lot. We played everything, I think, at the time. And that's something I don't do now. I don't always get a chance to try genres I wouldn't necessarily dive into. Um, but when you're younger, you have time, you get to do that. So I have lots to say about this generation. Um, I'll throw it to Leland first what, about the game you picked. Oh, um, okay. I think I got a list of like five or six of them It's here. tough, eh? It's really tough because as soon as you pick one, you I think I'm going to go... Go with your favorite. I uh, think I'm going to go with God of War. God of War. God yeah. of War 1. God of War 1, yeah. And... That's influenced also because it spawned like a pretty awesome franchise that I love. I think that's all. That's a big factor. But yeah, God of War One. I don't know. That game was so cool. It was it was pretty unique at the time. I mean, you just like you're 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 thrown down with Greek gods. You're all these all these myths. This myth stuff. It's it's really cool. It was brutal. It, it was, and it, it was, was brutal. The brutal. violence was, was awesome. Man. Sexualized. It was. Yeah. It was cool. like just what a fucking teenager was looking for. I mean, how many characters are like Kratos? Yeah. He has no, so cool. like, redeeming, no. like... He's, like, got zero moral comfort. He just doesn't care. No. He, they, they kind of try to make him care later, but... No, he doesn't care. I think in the new one, he's going to. They've changed, yeah. They've changed that. They've, yeah. Which is probably smart, but... When yeah, it comes exactly. to the originals, especially, I remember the first one was my favorite as well. Yeah. Um, I loved it. it was well, so of that generation, yeah, it's my favorite. Yeah. yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, I played it a few times, and those types of games aren't always interesting to replay, but that yeah. game is so good. No, and one th- awesome thing about that is, like, the combat systems were so cool. Like, those Blades of Chaos, man, that's the coolest weapon ever. As far, yeah, as far as action titles so go, cool. it's definitely yeah. influenced action games across the board. Yeah. Um, there's still a lot of those beat me up style games. It seems like they're going more in the direction of action RPGs. Yeah. But when it came to just straight up action games, that was hella fun. Mm-hmm. So that's your pick, eh? That's my pick. Yeah. All right, uh, Moby. Yeah, I do actually have a PS2 pick, um, and this one is actually Fatal Frame Two: Crimson Butterfly, and that's probably. Leland is literally scratching his head. I don't know if it's over my pick, but <laughs> I am aware of the now, game's existence. I do want to say we're picking for the whole generation. Yeah, we're not just picking. Oh, we're like, okay. We my bad. I don't have a GameCube pick. I didn't touch a GameCube okay, in my life. Okay, and I def. Okay, well, you know what? We'll save that for the future. But um, my my GameCube pick. You know, I definitely want to get on the GameCube. Now, it's not my favorite game for the system by a long shot, but I think the defining game for You're certain, picking your favorite. I your, can't pick the defining game. That We're going to talk about that after. Okay. <laughs> Did you read the show notes? No. God damn it. You know what? I, I didn't. Uh, my my favorite uh, GameCube game is, is Resident Evil Remake. Okay. Um, that that should have the... been pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Okay, I, I'm 32 years old. I... Whoa, what an old fuck. I know. I've, listener, I hope, I, you're, below... I hope played... you're not in your 30s, listener, because oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. I'm an ancient old man with a 12-year-old voice. I hope your parents aren't in their 30s either. <laughs> 
sorry. Uh, I feel my old ticker about to give out here, boys. Yeah. Resident Evil Remake was one of the first, well, it was the first horror game I ever played. Back in 2002, I know it was pre-rendered graphics, but those graphics were insane for that. I mean, they just, they even cool. the character models, the ambience, I listened to that soundtrack, I downloaded it off some weird Chinese site that had all the Resident Evil soundtracks, but no English language, <laughs> and it sent me an alert that had a hand inside a stop sign, and the next day I couldn't access the site. But I was able to download all <laughs> these soundtracks. And, man, it, it was fantastic. It's a terrifying game. It, it is. Uh, it makes you uncomfortable. It, it reminds me a lot of the new Resident Evil. Um, they both make me uncomfortable to play it. I don't know if I enjoy playing them. I like it, but I don't. It's weird. It's a weird feeling. Amazingly enough, even though I do have so much that game memorized, it comes up with somehow with one new scare or jump moment every time I play it. I that, believe that's your memory. That is your memory, yes. I'm, that is your lag of I'm sorry, I'm an old I guess man. now that will be long term. Term. Wow, Ooh, you're in rough shape, buddy. Both, man, both short and learned memory fade. I, I do what I can. Yeah, yeah, apparently, well. going to the gym will help you with that. Oh, yeah. Your mental hey, You don't get meta on the podcast. Um, but no, I, I mean, that's my, that's my favorite. Okay. Um, I did actually write defining our favorite, but I wanted favorite first. Okay. Um, my favorite, it's tough. Um, I feel like a dick here because I made you guys pick, but uh, <laughs> um, you know what? My favorite oh, is, is Resident Evil 4. Okay, um, that's cool. That's a good pick. You know, that's a really I good pick. I had to pick favorite. It's not my defining. It's not the one that maybe hits me the hardest when I think about it, but it's the one I played the most. It's the one that's taken up the most of my life. Um, we've had races with Resident before between the three of us called re thons um, oh. too many times oh, to the point where times. the game is played to death. We almost hated it we at this point. We can't do it anymore. There's no way we would do it anymore. But if I we did it for, how long did we do it? Ten years. Ten years. But if I still picked Every it up, year. if I bought like an HD version again, which I bought maybe five versions of this oh, game. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I would still play it. I would still play it to the end. I'd probably play it on Pro. I'd probably play all the extra stuff. I'd get the hand cannon. I'd do all this stuff. Yeah. I would laugh at the terrible acting and the weird story and the Ashley screaming No, oh, you pervert! Look. Um, <laughs> you know, we all said three different things. <laughs> that was good! And, you know, that was not scripted! That... <laughs> That game affects us all. And That's how fucking annoying Ashley is. <laughs> it's, it's a freaking phenomenal game, and it redefined Resident Evil in a terrible way going forward. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. at that time, it was what the series needed. They stepped back, which is great, because they went the complete wrong direction with it. But that yeah. game itself was perfect. At, for its time, and I really loved it. That's a good pick. Uh, when it comes to defining, though, I think that's that's a big topic. That's different. Like, what defined the yeah, genre? No. You know, I, I can dive right into that. I can think the defining game, like, I, I've got a couple. A big one is Grand Theft Auto 3. Yeah, yeah. I, that's my um, pick. That might be the one, honestly, because when I think about games nowadays, I think about how open worlds or open worldy, I guess, um, the ga- <laughs> games are nowadays. I mean, from anywhere from a Assassin's Creed, Far Cry to, you know, The Witcher. Everything's open world and it's huge. It's expansive. People want to play games that are long and involved. Grand Theft Auto 3 was all those things. It was, it had a story. I mean, they expanded on that. Vice City expanded on that in, in immensely, right? It, you know, they added a character, yeah. right? Oh, Vice City was so good. And then it was, and Vice City is better. But Vice City is better by oh, it leaves some bounds. I mean, you got but, Ray Liotta's Tommy Versetti, though. It's just and awesome. and San Andreas is so much fun. But 
Not as good as Vice City. No, but... Uh, There's too much. I think so. I think that's how I sometimes feel about the games nowadays. Yeah. And a lot of open world games, it's just too much. It yeah. uh, pulls you away from the story. But Grand Theft Auto 3, I played so much of that. It was really hard, too. It was really difficult to just get to the end of the game. Uh, but it was so much fun, and I, we must have put hundreds of hours in those games. Oh, yeah. I just remember going over to your place, and you and I just running around shooting, murdering people in like for hours in Grand Hall 3. In like, every way possible. Yeah, you just, just putting in every yeah, every code, every, every weapon. Thing to get, you yeah. can do. You're like, I wonder yeah. if I can drive this car off this yeah. building and land it on this prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you could. You, you could do it. You could. You would just put a bomb in a car and just like say, I'm just going to blow up this person because they were walking there. Yep. And all the character models look very similar. Yeah. So you have like the little squat hooker and like the tall one. Yeah. And sometimes there's like seven of the same person. Yeah. And like looking back, it probably doesn't live up, like like hold up, but it's hilarious. And it was, it stands out. I mean, I can't think of another game that defining. Uh, that's a great pick. That's my pick too. I agree on everything that you just said. Hmm. Moby. You know, I was, it's funny, this, like we said, this was not pre-planned. I did actually go with Resident Evil 4 as the defining game. And I've got a couple points with that. I mean, number one, that game at first started as a Nintendo exclusive back in the day when the GameCube was that little childish thing with the handle. And I remember it frustrated a lot of people that they couldn't play this great, very popular, critically acclaimed game because it was GameCube exclusive. Now, of course, it eventually got ported as soon as it was was legally possible but that one sticks out for me and i agree with marty that it actually was a case of success leading in the wrong direction i am a resident evil fanboy i played almost all of the numbered series and it brought resident evil in the wrong direction terribly in my point of view because of its success they had to make a direct sequel at least in mechanics and play style and Yeah, you ended up, you know, sooner or later with Chris Redfield, you know, with the bicep the size of an elephant's, you know, an elephant's leg. An elephant's trunk. (laughs) A skull leg. And, you know, context-sensitive punching boulders with, you know, steroid syringes hanging out of his ass. So you're saying that was negatively influenced? Oh, absolutely. Ah, I like it. Absolutely. And I'll agree with you. I think it negatively influenced gaming and action gaming in general. Yeah. Um, Really? Too much reliance on uh, context-sensitive button pressing, Mm -hmm. on um, set pieces, rather than, like, the story, the uh, gameplay driven by, like, the characters and also just the systems. You know what, though? Context-sensitivity stuff done right is Great. Yeah, God of War I, did that great. You can I make it emotional and you can make it worthwhile, but I think the problem was when it was everywhere. And yeah. Well, so, it was everywhere. It's all throughout God of War. Yeah. Like every major every major kill you do. Right? Maybe they went a little overboard with it in God of War 3. So maybe you guys are totally right. By the time God of War 3 came out, I guess that it was like, there was a lot. I of feel like it wasn't there. a big thing in God of War 1. Well, it was there. Every time you kill an ogre, you rip its eyeball right, out, right? Yeah. Like every, every major, like larger scale enemy you can can finish it off for that kid. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with the it. how the entire Hydra fight, right? That's one huge contextual battle, basically. Yeah, that's true. I guess when I think about it, I think more of the negative of like running from a boulder, tap X to run from boulder. Okay, yeah, and then that's garbage. That's not that's not really interactive. At all. I hate it when it kills me and we're having a competition. <coughs> and when I die at that point, it's so frustrating because I do not feel it's based on the merit of my skill. But. Martin, that's part of the game. That Yes, it is your skill. That's your skill. If you're terrible at it, you can't do it. It's terrible. You're I terrible. just like to point out I won the last one, therefore I'm champion forever. <laughs> you know, so where I was going with that too, actually, in a meta perspective, is I think Resident Evil 4 actually 
kind of represents an awkwardness in GameCube um, overall. I mean, I thought of other games preparing for this. So you look at look at Star Fox. Um, uh, it wasn't Star Fox Assault. It was Star Fox Adventures. So yeah, it's a Star Fox is. game. You were waiting for it. And it starts, and you get about 30 seconds in space and shoot a couple things. And all of a sudden, you land on a planet, and there's talking dinosaurs, and you, you think you're in Land Before Time 5, and you want to bang this blue-colored fox that winks at you. And it was weird. It was awkward, and it was weird. I think you might be the only person who thought that about the fox. Hey, it was my formative years. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Now. I know. I've never even seen a screenshot of this. I'm going, okay, Super Mario Sunshine. Good game, but what is it? Mario's on a vacation. He's in a new place. He's never been in any other games, and he's got this water pack attached to him. I was thinking about that, How's too. that a negative? But it, oh, I think it he's, goes, say, he's saying the GameCube in general feels like it's on vacation. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Okay, okay. Mario Sunshine. You have Wind yeah. Waker, which is kind of like the bastard stepchild of like the Zelda franchise. Okay. Absolutely. Even though that, it's, I, I was going to bring that up. Waker myself. I was going to bring that up. But I think universally, for a lot of people, it's um, one of the more critically panned for the just the art style and how it's like about sailing as opposed was, to... Yeah, yeah, okay. I've, know, I've heard all those. Yeah, and all that. And then also then you've got Resident Evil 4 which is like the remake came out on GameCube and then suddenly Resident Evil 4 comes out and just turns it up on its head yeah you know uh, how I thought of it was you know these are fun games but dot 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 because it was a departure from tradition and Resident Evil 4 I think defined that but I think it was indicative of the system as a whole and leaves a bittersweet taste in my mouth there's a lot of games I like for the GameCube but that they went off in all these weird tangents uh, I find tough to deal with yeah I can get behind that for sure um, but though I want to uh, devil's advocate at that point then is specifically with Mario Sunshine and what was it Wind Waker is yeah that what Wind Waker okay. yeah I don't really care about Zelda. You can throw a Metroid Prime in there, too. That's yeah, a, that's, first that's person. completely different than first okay. person. But I'd say in a good way. Yeah. Okay. But now those are established characters and established franchises that they are now doing something different with. They're trying to be innovative. So you're saying that they have taken this chance on these and they failed in those chances? Or like, because like, otherwise they're samey. I think they should be applauded for trying to do something different. You know, I, I wouldn't even say they failed across the board. I, I would agree with that too. But Leland, I think it came. So off then, as, is it good or bad? No, I think it's bad. I think it came off as awkward. And some gamers like me, I want every fucking Resident Evil to be third person tanky controls. Now, not a lot of people <laughs> want that. I do. I want horror. I want okay. slow burn. I want, I want, my I want terrible gameplay. But you loved RE7. Yes, I did. Okay. But, can we do, can we, I mean, that's, again, not the same generation. But I'll tangent in RE7 if you guys want to go there. I don't. Th- I think we spent far too much time already on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we do it as an Evil 7? Yeah, discussion. we should discuss oh, it. Okay, we, we can I think that. it is worth a like discussion. That. I like that. Okay. In, in so many ways. So, yeah, we'll, we'll put that on the back burner. Boom. We've got a part as of our content. All right, content. Director, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I I see what you guys are saying. Resident Evil Seven. Uh, I mean, the, rants. the thing is, like anything that we've discussed in this, it's not. It's never black or white, obviously. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. 
what what can you really discuss and put down as black and white? This, this isn't boiled down to facts. This boils down to people's perceptions. So I, I get what you guys. But I mean, I, I and again, I have not played either Mario Sunshine or Wind Waker. But I think doing something different is never bad, or at least the attempt, the effort in to do something different that doesn't become samey. That you don't rely on these characters doing the same things for every generation of console you're putting out, which seems to me like Nintendo does a lot, or they don't support them at all. Yeah, that's the Wii U discussion where I'll get very sad and need to drink liquor. So, but that's <laughs> that's later. That'll, that's that'll be during the drunk cast. I'll I'll just <laughs> deliberately set it up so it's during the drunk cast. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, we've kind of. Oh, sorry. No, there was one one thing, one uh, more trend I wanted to talk about from that era. Okay. Um, I've got one more game as well. So what's a uh, trend? Okay. So I think that trend, um, the trend of porting video games to film, that was huge boom during that. Yeah. Like I, you I had, so. you had, uh, Tomb Raider in 2001. Right. Enter the Matrix, 2003. Um, the RE, the entire film franchise of Resident Evil. Um, it does just kind of feel like that's the generation where video games became for adults. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. Or Actually, at least I, I, started it. I, I think you're onto something. Um, it, you know, the, the Xbox with Halo, you start having the online shooters. Um, definitely some of the PS2 games that are very... I mean, the ones that we're talking about are M-rated. Yeah, Grand that's Auto, true. God of War, Resident Evil. Yeah. Although we played them as teenagers, they were intended for adults, I guess. And that's probably why they were expanded to the film um, hmm. medium. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is that when those are all ported, though, they are then uh, toned down to be more generally accessible. That's a movie studio thing, right? They want to try to make it is available for everyone as yeah. in general, and well, they don't understand what makes a video game a video, video game. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that uh, is a whole other movie musing topic about rating the rating system. I'll games. write that one yeah, down. Write it down there, content direct. The pages. Okay, well, I just wanted to touch on that. That's that's it for me. Well, I've got one more game that I would call. So it was a tough pick for me, and I wanted to throw this one out here. And I think it affects you as well, Leland. Metal Gear Solid Two. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and and I I know Metal Gear Solid Three. We both like more yeah and, but Metal Gear Solid 2 feels like the first game of that generation that I went wow this is the next generation of gaming yeah you're right and I played that maybe 20 times yep as did I that was the very the very first PS2 game I ever owned and I paid $125 for it how yeah I don't know how? ridiculous I very distinctly was that in a store that. did you like I bought it from Zellers in- 125 bucks off this shelf collector's edition regular edition wow and I didn't have a memory card at the time so I played the first two hours of that game a thousand times <laughs> that's how great it was and how enjoyable it was so yeah that's a, that's a great mention for it really sure. was and the first two hours of the game are super enjoyable yep you learn all the mechanics you're still snake it's so well done. It's so much different. It's so more advanced than any PS1 game was. Yeah. Uh, the graphics, the things you could do. Like, I mean, you could just do everything to these soldiers that you wanted, <laughs> yeah. you wanted to do in these... Yeah, that sounds terrible. Um, you wanted to do in these action games. Finally, you could do it, and you felt like Snake. You could actually crouch and crawl and do all these things, and it was so much fun, and it, it had a great story that probably didn't end up where it should have for the franchise, but at the time, it was so fun. And I think that one really defines 
that generation for me as well. Um, it led into Metal Gear Solid 3. Yeah, you're right. It, it set the groundwork for, for Snake Eater, which, which is phenomenal. Man, oh man, that could be a whole other topic about you know, too, and right? uh, every Metal Gear Solid game has had its amazing pros and cons. It probably except number three, I think, for the two of us. We love number three. Yeah. I mean, it's like the golden, golden child. Yeah, you know, I'm like trying to think of a criticism for that right now, and my mind is blank, which is not on you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love that game. Self-depreciation Appreciation, listener, comes standard with the podcast. <laughs> well, I think that wraps it up for me. I, you know, that's uh, kind of what I wanted to make these segments about for yeah, these generations. I like it. Um, I think the next one we're going to do, just to get you ready for, is going to be the fourth generation. Nice. So that's going to be the Super Nintendo and Sega generation. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, that's going to be most of you guys talking. Uh, I'm sorry. There was one last thing I wanted. Is the uh, 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 conception and then death of rhythm gaming. Mm. Because like, Guitar Hero, man, oh, love that game. Such a great the it, it, one it, and two, it, so good. It really died in PS3, though. I think. Yeah, that's true. It did make it past. So we could say the generation. Yeah, the conception. Okay, sure. okay, but I mean, it was dead by the time. Whoa, what, 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 what was PS3? Rock Band? What generation was that? Uh, that would have been like Rock Band. How's Xbox? Three, I think. I think. Oh, I think you're right. I think yeah. we did play it mostly on PS2. I had it for Wii, so it for sure made it to that generation. Yeah, I, I don't had know. Rock, but you like, know what? I had Rock Band. It was for yeah. It was for the next generation because we played Rock Band uh, on two, Xbox. On Xbox. Yeah. Uh, Xbox 360. Yep. Yeah. 360. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I just wanted to give those a mention too because like those are huge. That was it was guitar. It was huge for a long. Well, time. It, it was almost. Like a brand new concept of a video game. It totally I mean, it had was. these peripherals, so interactive, it you know. Was, yeah, and it. it it just hadn't been done before inside a dance dance. You could, you could like. I mean, who 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 doesn't want to be a rock star? It was awesome. It was, it was. And I mean, there was something for everyone there, you know, especially I liked, you know, with my little boy voice singing. When I finally got to sing with Rock Band 2, that was amazing. Awk, awk. That's an inside joke. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, it was awesome. I mean, when Rock Band hit and you had drums, you had guitar, you had bass, you had singing, it was amazing. It was some of the most fun we've had, especially drinking and playing that game. It was really a party game. It, it and, was. But it was also a game you could pick up and play for five minutes, ten minutes, play two songs, and just really have a good time. You could come home from work, throw it on for ten minutes, and just go do something else. You didn't have to sit down for hours, which no. felt, which is something I think a lot of games don't have unless they're... like a, That's something we get with phone games nowadays, or, you know, like a picnic. Just pick up and play, like, Plants for Zombies or something. Um, that's something you don't have with, like, a Witcher or something. The game that yes. a lot of people dive yeah. into, right? So yeah. it's uh, it's something that I, that I miss about those games, for sure, but I would have a hard time picking one up now and playing it. It feels like it's run its course for me. Yeah, you know, every so often I I get uh, get a little spur, get a little ink. You want to uh, get the band back together? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of want to get that you band back. I want to get Licking Gag lick back. Gag. Lick and gag. <laughs> what the disgusting. hell am I doing here? <laughs> I don't belong. <laughs> All right. I'm already planning. Thank you. You can have your own spinoff <laughs> podcast, like Moby Sings. I don't know. What is this? Okay, let's wrap this up. We're, we're right, longer so than we're okay. usually. We're, well, that segment's done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tally ho. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we can bring bring the episode to an end, right? Okay, yeah. So for the uh, T Hut podcast, uh, this is Marty. Marty said tally ho. Oh, sorry, that was your sign off. Oh, that's great. my sign off. You know, this was Moby. Our listener doesn't necessarily know our voices yet. Okay, you gotta say your name. Uh, it's Moby. 
Tally Ho. And this is Leland Steele. I'll promote myself again as I'm going to do every episode. Uh, you can find some of my board game uh, musings and reviews uh, at lelandsteelfiction.wordpress.com. Uh, and follow me on Twitter if you like, or check out my feed uh, at T underscore HUD underscore Reppin. R E P P I N. And uh, thank you, listener, for, for your loyalty. We'll catch you guys next time. Oh, and uh, Gen Con is in Indiana. I know things.